Today's read, Midnight, A Gangster Love Story by Sister Soldier. Chapter 2, Before Midnight. African born. My father was not a king, but he was a phenomenon. The things he taught and showed me were more valuable than the three sparkling three carat diamonds he placed in the palm of my hand. My father said, not every man is qualified to be king. Not every man should want to be king. When unqualified men become king, they destroy everyone one way or another because of their ignorance, greed, or anger. Every day they live with the fear that it will be exposed that they do not deserve their wealth and do not really know how to rule. My father was the advisor to the Prime Minister of the Sudan, the most powerful man in our country. He was also the advisor to an extremely popular and influential Southern Sudanese king. My father was a great thinker, the man with the ideas that the king and prime minister pretended they thought of themselves. This placed my father in a position of power, quiet power, but it also put him in the position of working to bring two deeply separated parts of one nation together. He was constantly being studied and watched and eventually hated by a handful of men who could not compare. These same men who couldn't think or see straight on their own had no vision of the power that would come through unity. They envied my father, rejected his thoughts and ideas, yet imitated his style and finesse. When crooked men feel threatened, and have no chance of competing with or matching the intelligence and maneuvers of a man who they see as their rival, they begin to use their insecurity to set that man up and bear bear false witness against him. They don't stop until they bring him down, drive him out, and eliminate him from holding on to something they could never have achieved fair and square. My father taught me to lay low. Don't be the asshole who wants to be seen and celebrated all day, every day. Be cool. Take it easy. Carry out your plans in life slow and steady. Push hard. My father pushed hard, loved hard, lived hard, making great use of every minute and moment. A scientist, he graduated from the University of Khartoum at age 20. He earned his master's degree at the Sorbonne University in Paris, France. He completed his PhD at Columbia University in the United States of America. At age 26, He returned home a doctor of science. He reminded everyone that Africa was the best place in the world. He didn't just say it, he meant it. 
He moved back in and worked the land and built businesses from scratch to empire status. My father was six foot eight and pure black from head to toe, a blessing, not a curse. An international man, he saw the world, the whole world, as his backyard. He made our home in northern Sudan, the place where my mother was born and raised, the place where I was born also. We lived on his estate, 75 acres of land, four homes, eight buildings, and all of the property I could see in every direction was ours. He named our estate Beit El Rahim, which means the womb. He said he chose this name for many reasons. One, he said, because Africa is the birthplace of the world, of human beings, of intelligence, and of all of the prophets. Two, he said, because women are the key to life. Three, he said, because children born of a healthy womb become the guardians of traditions and children born of an unhealthy womb become the curse, so the womb itself is sacred. If we chose, we never had to leave our property. Most of my family lived there. My father's closest friends and co-workers' children went to our school on our property and prayed at the mosque on our property. My mother's business was located there in a fully equipped building, exclusively used, managed, and populated by women. Our food was grown on our land. We drew our water from our fresh water wells. Our place was filled with love, laughter, prayer, and music. My father purchased the finest clothes most handmade in the Sudan, the rest imported from Italy, France, and America, and customized to his size and fit. His shoes were imported from Milan, Lisbon, Gueru, Seoul, and Canberra. But his favorite pair was made by his own father, my southern grandfather, who made the shoes from scratch right before my father's eyes. He gave them to him as a parting gift when my father went off to college, explaining that the handmade pair of shoes were the sturdiest and most reliable, the same as his southern village. My grandfather said those shoes would bring his son home to him where southern grandfather believed he belonged. My father loved and collected music from around the world. Some evenings we grooved and listened to the thoughtful and melodic voice of Bob Marley. Stevie Wonder's lyrics painted pictures in our minds. Miriam Makeba sang us messages from the people of South Africa. Fela rocked us from Nigeria. The young voice of Michael Jackson amazed and excited us. Our homegrown Sudanese singers like Abdallah Amiago sang us familiar songs framed by familiar sounds, waking and reawakening our love of life and Allah. In one of the buildings on our property reserved for men, my father sometimes practiced playing his trumpet 
Once a month, he performed with his Just For Fun band before an audience of family and close friends. He taught me that hard-working men must always find ways to relax and enjoy life without destroying their family relationships. He spoke seven languages and had acquaintances throughout the world. My father taught me that language should never separate one good person from another. Any man can learn another man's language if he can shut up long enough to listen and sit still long enough to study. We spoke Arabic at home, but he made sure I could speak at least the greetings of several African tongues, and I also studied English in school and practiced speaking it along with my schoolmates. My mother only spoke Arabic. My father loved her so much that she was the exception to many of his rules. He laid the world at her feet. When he hugged and kissed her, anyone could tell there was nothing realer than that. Even I could tell he wanted her only to himself. I'd move out of their way and disappear into one of the many rooms of our home. He surrounded her in his love but still allowed her to have her friends, business, and life within the places built exclusively for her behind the walls of the womb. He was never shy about expressing himself to her. I saw it all the time. About her, I felt the same way. When my father did business in the surrounding suburbs and villages, he mostly drove his truck. For big city and government business, he rode in his silver Mercedes-Benz 600 driven by his trusted Southern Sudanese homeboy, the only person allowed to privately transport him. Parked in our garage area was his custom-made cobalt blue Rolls Royce that rarely left the grounds where we lived. Still, it was always kept clean and polished. We also had a small collection of miniature cars used by our staff to move around our property and to drive outside of our estate to run errands and complete tasks. Our diamonds, gold, ivory, copper, and silver, we got from home. It was automatic, part of our property, our history our heritage, our assets. We also had oil, homegrown fruits and vegetables, and livestock. Guess you could say despite having to work hard in a hot climate, we invented chilling. My father had guns galore, real ones from 22s to 45s to 357s to 9s to Glocks to G3 rifles to semi-automatics, Uzis and AK-47s. There were so many weapons that he had a small brick fort built on our property just to store them. On my fifth birthday, he gave me a key to his fort. It was one of the many tests he gave me to prepare me for life. He often would challenge me asking, where is your key? I had better have it on me, not in the pocket of the pants I wore last week or yesterday, 
not somewhere that I couldn't remember or in the possession of one of the house cleaners or my mother even. He taught me that I had to be responsible for my stuff instead of shifting my weight onto any other person. He taught me how to hold each of the weapons. I felt that most of them weighed more than me. He assured me that they didn't. He taught me how to take them apart, put them back together, and how to clean and load them. The first time he took me to target practice, I was five years old. The kickback from the gun in my hand lifted me off my feet and threw me to the ground. Within seconds, he had me stand back up on my feet and begin firing once again. If you fear the gun, he said, you will never be calm enough to hit your target. My father was not a military man, but when I got the chance to travel outside of our state with him on business or pleasure, he made sure, he pointed out, Egyptian-made aircraft flying through our skies, German-made watercraft sailing on our waters, Soviet T-54 tanks and MIG-17 surface-to-air missiles and more. Slowly and carefully, he would say so seriously, this one was designed by Germany. This one was designed by Britain. This one was designed by Israel. This one was designed by Italy. This one was designed by Pakistan. All of these weapons in this section were manufactured by the Americans, he would say, pointing. Do you know why they designed and provided these weapons for us? He would ask me. Do you know what they want you to do with them? He would ask. Then he would answer himself. They designed these weapons so that we could make their lives easier. So that you and I would wipe out our own family, friends, and countrymen. Allowing them, the foreigners, to come in and raid and rule our land seize our gold, export our diamonds, and siphon our oils. Take a look around, he would say. Everything we have, some which I acquired through birthright, the rest from hard work, education, blood, sweat, and tears could be gone in an instant because it is everything that every man in the world dreams of possessing. You must fight to keep it. My father said, Every son is entitled to inherit what his father earned, but still must plan to fight for it. Admire your father, but still become a man who stands on his own feet and works his own accomplishments and miracles. My father said, Every man will be pushed to kill something or someone, either to feed himself and his family or to keep from being disrespected and dominated. But don't be eager to kill, son, because when you kill, you lose something too. 
it is better to give life than to give death. It is harder to maintain life than it is to wipe it out. There are unreasonable men on this earth who are determined not to let you be as you are, live as you are, love as you are, work as you are. They will bring war to your doorstep, like it or not. If you win, good for you and your family. Praise Allah. Enjoy the peace. If you lose, lay low, go underground, go slow, rebuild and regroup and come again. If they take your land, gold, diamonds, and oils, let them have it for the moment while you think. Reposition yourself, regain your strength, plan and purpose, but never allow them to take your women, your children, or your family, or you will be defeated forever. My father said and did a whole lot of incredible things. His voice is louder in my ear than my own. He taught me that women are 100% emotion. Love them, but don't obey them. A man must go into the world without fear and do what is right, required, and necessary. The last thing he told me the last time I saw him was, Son, no matter what, take care of your mother and your sister. Guard them and their honor. Protect them with your life. My family came to America not because we loved it and thought it was a better place and the land of opportunity. We came to America without our influence and abundant riches to lay low, to go underground, to go slow to rebuild, to regroup, to regain our strength, position, plan, and purpose to come again.